we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. To another exciting episode of Gratuitous Sex and Violence, the podcast where we regress back into our childhood and unlock repressed memories of schlock living deep inside us all. Oh no! <laughs> Sounds traumatizing. It is traumatizing, you know, those repressed memories, they, they can be pretty harmful. Yeah, I don't know that I realized I signed up for that. Uh-oh. Well, we're here on uh, another exciting episode, and uh, my name is Orlando, and I have a special guest today, uh, Miss Lindsay. How are you, Lindsay? Hi, I am well. This is your first time on the podcast. First time, yes. Mm-hmm. But we know each other. It's true. Fairly well. Yeah. And uh, are you a movie watcher? Do you like to watch films? I do love movies, yes. Okay. Um, I have I I tend to rewatch a lot of the same movies so sure. my my knowledge is not a very wide mm-hmm. um, assortment of things because I tend to know the ones that I love very well. What type of movies do you like? Like what type of genres or um, I have a special soft spot for a lot of like movie musicals or rom-coms from the golden age so mm. like 40s, 50s um, Doris Day, Esther Williams. Okay. I have all of their um, film collections that I revisit. Great, those are great movies. I love some Doris Day movies. Yeah. Um, we're watching something. You know, when you were, when you were agreed to be on this show, I was like, well, I got to pick something that's like close to her um, wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. And so, so we're <laughs> you do watching. Know me. <laughs> so we're watching something not quite from the golden age, but from the '60s, which is um, right it's, after. Yeah, it's in there. It's close. Yeah, and it's an Alfred Hitchcock film. I know you've mm. watched a few Alfred Hitchcock films. Oh yes. Are you a generally a fan of Mr. Hitchcock's work? I have loved the movies that I have seen of his. I mean, he's brilliant. I really like how he infuses comedy into mm. into his work, which... A lot of dark humor, actually. Yes. Or gallows humor, you one might say. Yes. <laughs> um, so having a little bit of that humor opens up other genres to me, I've found. Yeah. So I, I think that he does a good job. I think that a lot of people have this uh, perception that Hitchcock made horror films. And even though he did make a couple of movies that I would say really fit into the horror movie genre, Mm -hmm. I would say that he actually made psychological thrillers. I would agree with that. So I'll, so yeah. it's more, it's it's not really into like the whole, it does have a fair amount of macabre in it, but it's not gruesome and then there aren't any monsters or really supernatural elements in his movies. But there's a lot of suspense. In fact, he's known as the master of suspense. Right. And his movies are pretty nail biting. Um, you said that you saw Rear Window. I think the mm-hmm. Rear Window, I've seen that movie like dozens of times and I still am on the edge of my seat every time I watch it. He, he really knows how to craft suspense from a movie. And all so much through the power of suggestion. Right. He doesn't even have to show you. He can just let you think. That's true. About what's happening, which is brilliant. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about his techniques, actually, um, when we watch this movie. 
We're watching Marnie. Now, in in this show, we tend to pick out like either cult movies or movies maybe that um, a lot of people are not familiar with, or maybe movies that are important for a reason. This is actually a movie that I think, like, when you think about all Alfred Hitchcock, this isn't the first movie that comes to mind. No. Um, have, and Marnie is a 1964 American psychological thriller directed by Alfred Hitchcock, uh, and it's based on a novel by the same name from 1961 by Winston Graham. The film stars Tippi Hedren and Sean Connery. This movie is about a beautiful blonde, who is played by Tippi Hedren, who can't stop stealing from her employers, and she meets a rich playboy, played by Sean Connery, who starts to explore her mental issues, even though she's less than willing. So you've never seen this movie before? No, I hadn't even heard of the movie before you asked me to do this. Oh, wow. Yeah. But you're familiar with Tippi Hedren? Uh Uh-huh. She was also in The Birds. She actually made The Birds for Alfred Hitchcock before this movie, because this was 1964 and The Birds was 1961. And that's going to be really interesting um, to talk about later on as well. I don't know if you know any history behind Tippi <laughs> Hedren and The Birds, but that's really interesting. And then you're familiar, of course, with Sean Connery. Oh, I think I've heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and sadly, we we um, lost him just a little while ago, actually. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's in this movie. This is the only Hitchcock film that he made. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what's up with Sean in this movie. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, another thing you know, to look out for with Hitchcock's work, obviously we talked about, like, his use of suspense and his use of comedy, which I think that comes through in this film. I really want to talk about his use of female characters, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason why I'm really excited to have a female guest today. Uh, pick your brain uh, that way because there's this perception that, I, and I think rightfully so, that Alfred Hitchcock was a misogynist, and a lot of his movies bear that out. You know, the way that he treats his female characters, it, it, it's very fetishy. He uh, he likes to favor icy blondes. He does, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and then he always like puts them through the ringer. Like he always has these weird fetishy relationships with the men around these female characters. It's really fascinating. Mm. But the, the crazy thing to me is I feel like even though his approach to actresses and how they relate to his movies is really misogynistic, I still find that the characters themselves have a lot of depth. And there is a certain amount of compassion that Hitchcock, the artist, gives the characters in the movies while at the same time exploiting them. Hmm. I don't know if you've picked up on any of that from watching previous Hitchcock films. I mean, I have noticed the attraction to blondes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. The Man Who Knew Too Much, Rear Window. Doris Day, Grace Kelly. Uh uh, Vertigo had Kim Novak in Uh it. Um, Janet Lee in Psycho. Yeah, mm-hmm. he had a type. He did have a type, <laughs> generally. And he, he always loved uh, certain things that keep coming back to his films, obsession, voyeurism, uh, stuff like that. We'll, we'll talk about how that relates to this movie as well. Um, so if you guys at home want to play along, what we're going to do is we're going to watch the movie. And then we're going to come back and play some trivia and discuss the film. This movie is available to stream if you have Peacock Premium. 
if you don't have Peacock Premium, then you will just have to rent it. It's on demand. It's available um, wherever you can get movies like Amazon, Fandango, etc. Um, so, are you ready? Let's do it. To watch Marnie? I am. Okay. <laughs> watch it with us. Let's do this. Okay. We're going to take a break and we'll see y'all on the other side. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. just watched Alfred Hitchcock's Marnie. Now, interestingly enough, uh, we were talking about how this movie is not one of his better known movies. Actually, when it came out, uh, it got fairly poor reviews. Um, and it, but it, it was a moderate box office success. But, uh, but yeah, it wasn't, it was, it wasn't well received critically. And it's not until many years later where it was reappraised and actually became better received. Um, you've just seen it for the first time. Yes. What are your first reactions? So there is a lot to take in. Yeah. And I, my, I mean, my initial response is that I was intrigued. Mm-hmm. My, I, my attention was held through the whole time. That's actually why I didn't take notes because I was there was enough going on that I didn't want to miss any small detail because okay. there were enough moving parts mm-hmm. that I felt like I needed to pay attention. It's a very fascinating movie. Yes, because uh, it's all basically like a character study of Marnie, this this act, this character played by Tippi Hedren. Like the whole movie is basically trying to unlock. She's the mystery. Yes. So it's trying to unlock her, basically. But there are enough characters that have an air of mystery to them themselves Mm -hmm. that I also felt like, oh, this person, I might need to pay attention to this person. Mm. There was that air of mystery that... Yeah. um, And I feel like several characters had a kind of a, not a spooky moment, but an interesting moment Mm -hmm. that caught my attention in a way that I went, oh, they're maybe uh, mm. holding something close to the vest that we're going to learn about later. Well, I, I, like, I, I know that we talked about this before we watched the movie. I was comparing uh, Hitchcock movies to salacious paperbacks. Mm, mm-hmm. And I don't know if you picked up on that vibe from this film, but like that's you know how like a, a salacious paperback has like this really... Usually has a really interesting cover. It's almost like a, an idealized cover, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what this movie is. This movie is a, it's a beautiful, classy movie that's hiding all this ugliness underneath it. Absolutely, it's a page turner, right? Which, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. there's a lot of like interesting drama and all of that. Um, what did you think of? Um, like the way that the suspense, like, do you do you feel like Hitchcock's mastery of suspense was well borne out in the film, even though it's not like a traditional thriller? The suspense was there. I felt like there were a lot of breadcrumbs. Mm. There's a lot of foreshadowing, um, enough so that I was putting 
I was I was able to put more pieces together on my own along the way than uh-huh. in some of his other films, um, which I think was also part of why I was paying attention because I felt like I really was a part of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Almost like you're you're the detective. Yeah. <laughs> going along. That I, that I at least <laughs> had the capabilities. Uh-huh. Um, I think that's what I was trying to say about the characters that their air of mystery is everybody had like a secret. Right. So in the bread, the breadcrumbs made me feel like I needed to, I was capable of figuring enough things out that it was encouraging to me to try to figure more out mm. than I was able to. Okay. Okay. Now, do you find like the, like the characters, obviously I, f- I feel like all the characters are very flawed. All the main characters are very flawed in this movie. Yeah, I'd agree. Did you find yourself being repelled by any of their character traits? Or do you find them like, oh, I actually am kind of in this character's corner, even though they're despicable in a way? I think that while I could see their flaws, they each had a moment of endearment and humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, which... You know, they all did a really great job with, with in grounding those characters. Like I mean, Marnie, I, do you do you find Marnie? You know, she's the main character. Do you find her a likable character? Um, I I was rooting for her. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, my I felt for her. Um. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's kind of re- relatable, right? That I mean, I, I don't think like a lot of people have deep seated trauma like that, but we all have something, right? That affects us. Yeah, nobody's childhood was. I, I guess I can't say nobody, but right. very few people's childhoods were. Well, we all. I think we're all fighting <laughs> demons, uh, even if it's not like you know her situation. But um, I think there's there's something in everyone that we are fighting against, right? Um, and that's what I find interesting about. The movie, we'll just we'll definitely discuss that more later on. But especially like when it comes to um, comparing it to Alfred Hitchcock's body of work, like this movie really is about. I mean, Hitchcock, he was obsessed with sex, mm-hmm. and he tackled it in the best way that he could for the time. Like all of his movies are full of unta- double entendres, and they all deal with sex in some way. Which is probably why he cast such beautiful people. <laughs> well, definitely, yeah. Because, like, like, like I said, like he was very he, he approached it in a very fetishistic way, especially his right. women, the, yes. the way that he films them, even as you could see in this movie. I I laughed, and then I was realizing this is not a moment that I should be laughing. But <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. It's very, it's very, um, yeah. It, it's very awkward, mm-hmm. but in a. I don't know, like, it kind of helps the vibe of it in a, a little bit because it makes you uncomfortable. Yeah, I guess I could just actually be more specific. Everybody who's following along at this point would have watched the movie. <laughs> Hopefully. Yes. <laughs> when he essentially, like, touches her shoulders and her dress falls to the floor in a yeah. snap. She, she, I he, laughed. He, he tears, it's a very serious moment. He tears her clothes off in a very 60s manner. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then it's like just like a shot of like the legs, and again, I, there were I noticed that there were several like lingering shots of her legs as she was walking to at the beginning, right? So yeah, very it's it's very 
kinky, mm-hmm. but in a very tame 60s you know, lens. Yes, yes. <laughs> we will leave it to your imagination what the rest of her body looks like based on her legs because it's the 60s. Right. But it's still, like, it's interesting, like, uh, fascinating from a, from a, the director's point of view, like Hitchcock approaching all of all of those trademarks. Uh, and in this case, it, his, his main character is the woman, where I feel like in a lot of his movies, the main character is not the woman. It's the guy. Right. And, but it, but this is a film like literally where he's he's delving into the psychology of who is this woman that I'm obsessed with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just fascinating to me, yeah. but also kind of sick, but fascinating. Yeah, uh, there was a moment that I I took that in myself where I was thinking about you know th- some of the stereotypes that mm-hmm. she's put in as a woman and you know she's in the bathroom and all of the women are putting on their lipstick and powdering their noses and gossiping about the men that they're going to be going out with that evening um and then she comes out of the bathroom stall and she's about to go in and rob this place and i go Mm. oh i had that moment of well you know what at least he let her be the lead of this movie yeah we're gonna still view women through this lens but at least she's taken the reins and she's got She's got the power in her own hands. There's a lot of like subversion of expectations, though, in that way, because I feel like Marnie is a character who is it's almost like. And again, Hitchcock, brilliant, but it's almost like Marnie, the character is having her dialogue with Hitchcock, the artist, not Mark, her husband. When she's like, mm. you know, I distrust men. I don't want men to touch me. Like, it's almost like she's saying that to his proclivi- his proclivities. Right. Like, his fetish. And it's almost like, you know, she's, she's, she's aching for some respect, but the director is still leering with the shot. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's it's, fascinating. It's, it's proving her point as she's making <laughs> right. it. Right. Exactly. That's, exactly. Yes. Um, We'll talk more about that in depth, but before we go on, let's play some Marnie trivia. So uh, do you generally, I know you're, you like games. I do like games. Are you a good trivia player? Um, uh, I am one to have on your team because you never know when I'm going to come in handy, Uh, like in general trivia. Like a... I feel like I know a little bit about mm -hmm, a lot of things, mm -hmm. so it's going to be like the very random... A clinch player. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. That I'll come through on. So generally the trivia on this show is fairly random. I try to keep it pretty random. Uh, The way that it works for those of you at home who haven't listened to us before is the trivia is five questions and a bonus. The questions will go in order from least difficult to most difficult. um, And they'll be about the film and then the bonus will be um, about the world outside the film but somehow connected to the movie itself. And the grand prize is bragging rights. Ooh, I love those. (laughs) I need more of those, yeah. Well, we're excited to give you some bragging rights. (laughs) Generally, what we found here is that if you get 50% or higher, you will have some bragging rights. So uh, basically, three questions will get you some bragging rights. Anything above free, that's more bragging rights. All right, that doesn't give me a lot of hope. Let's... (laughs) Let's Are see. you ready for question number one? Da, 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 da. Lay it on me. All right, starting you out nice and easy. Mm. Which color triggers Marnie? Oh, 
red. The color red. Uh, literally Correct. seeing red. Now, Hitchcock, um, he made a lot of movies in black and white, obviously, and they're still spectacular visual uh, storytelling. Um, but and when he made color movies, his use of color, I think, very much defined his movies. Mm -hmm. um, you, you mentioned that you watched North by Northwest. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of great use of color in that. Absolutely. Um, another one was Vertigo, actually, uh, which was before this movie. And in Vertigo, he uses a lot of greens um, in that one. This one uses a lot of red. It's very symbolic. Right. It's part, it, it basically is her trauma, her traumatic experience. Um, what did you think about that device uh, used throughout the film uh, to recall her trauma? And do you think that color is that powerful of a sense memory in your life or in real life? Um, as far as using it in the film, I mean, seeing red, it's a phrase. We, right. So just making that very literal, I think, is something mm -hmm. that we all very early on just latch onto and understand what's mm -hmm. happening. Right. Um, so I think it was a good tool as far as um, from the very beginning, we were all with her and understanding. Mm -hmm. um, as far as color as sense memory in in life. Because um, they usually I, say that that scent is a the most powerful. That memory. was that was literally what I was just thinking. I was like, I feel like scent would <laughs> would trigger me more than. But than you can't a color. smell a movie. <laughs> no, I think color wise, the only thing that would hit me is um, the ocean. Okay. Um, I find that like teals and turquoises have found their way into my life in a lot of places because they make you feel um, like the ocean. Yeah, it's very calming mm -hmm. to me. Okay. Um, and I think, like, the colors of a sunset. Like, there are colors that are just so rich and so vibrant that will stick with you in the back of your brain right. that you can't necessarily recreate. Like, if you try to take a picture of a sunset, it's pretty, but it's never really mm -hmm. that same it's feeling. Mm -hmm. um, so as far as colors to memories, those the things that you can't capture that sit in your brain and make you feel. Is it, is, I guess I'm like what I'm getting at is, that, do you think it's believable that someone would have such a violent reaction uh, to a color? I, I, <laughs> we're, all, we're all surrounded by color. And I actually noticed that the film used a lot of yellow. There is a lot of yellow, um, yeah. The yellow bag, the yellow key. He's His pajamas are yellow. I, I was noticing a lot of that, which I felt like they were making such efforts to try to keep away from red. Mm -hmm. um, and in reality, it, red's going to be everywhere. Yellow is a very significant color too, right? Because it means like cowardice. It's, um, it symbolizes it symbolizes friendship. It symbolizes, right. um, it, it's known as a very happy color. Okay. Um, but yeah, cowardice as well. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I guess like it also relates fine. it relates to um, her naturalness too because she's naturally blonde but she's mm -hmm. always pretending to be a brunette throughout the movie yeah so. yeah so that was but as far as the believability of every time she sees red she panics and runs <laughs> um, I think you're gonna have a hard time I'm just looking around the room now I'm like I see red in several places around this room yeah, yeah. Um, 
it's yeah, that's it, a tough one. It was a deep seated trauma. And again, it was very melodramatic. It reminded me of like that paperback feeling. It was just like a kind of soap opera-ish. Absolutely. So I, I think that for for the film it definitely works because of just the way the film is constructed. Yeah. But it is a little I far-fetched overall. Yeah, I, I think I could buy it like with the ink because it looked like blood. That was a really good one. That I that one I would buy. Um, maybe if if it was more specifically the hint of blood specifically mm-hmm. rather than just the generic color of red, mm-hmm. then I probably would have supported it more. Mm-hmm. Good point. All right, so you got that one. That one was super easy, though. Oh, huzzah. Let's go to question number two. Ooh. It's getting a little bit harder. <laughs> uh, what's the name of Marnie's beloved horse? Um, Fario? Fario. It's very close. Um, I'll, I might give you half a point for it. For Fario. Hmm. It was like something like that. It was. It was Forio. Forio. <laughs> With oh. an O. Oh, Forio. But uh, uh, I'll give you half a point for that because it's just a vowels difference. Fario. Fario. Um, it, it very fascinating also like how basically like her escape is to go with horses she loved horses yes it's a really great character um, I think like defining trait for her it, interesting that the word so I, I was looking up like what the word forio means That's first what of I was all just wondering is where the name came from first of all forio is actually a city uh, in Italy okay but the word forio comes from the Greek forion. Uh, which means stolen goods. Huh. Which is appropriate. Cheeky. Huh. <laughs> every time that she steals, she goes <laughs> sees stolen goods, yeah. her horse. Oh, yeah. that's cheeky. I like it. Yeah, you know, hey, Hitchcock is nothing if not if cheeky. Not cheeky. <laughs> he was a cheeky bastard. <laughs> I like that. All right, so you got one and a half points. I'll All give right. you that. Uh, right. Here comes question number three. Let's see if you picked up on this one. Mm-hmm. During her interview, her job interview at Rutland's, Marnie says that her and her dead husband lived in which city? Uh, Pittsburgh. Correct! It's oh, Pittsburgh! Uh, we later find out that she's actually done this whole routine, according to her, four times. Now, I'm not sure because there's so many lies going on in this movie. Who knows how many times yeah. she's doing it? I think one time she says it was four times. She, right. Three, four, I don't know. Yeah, she keeps like upping it up. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's it's really interesting how like she even had like that secret compartment. Uh, mm-hmm. bit, bit, I think it was was it like her her compact mirror, right? And mm-hmm. she had a bunch of social security cards. Like this is like legit fraud crime right here. Yeah, she's she's not a small game player. Yeah, this she's is... like a she's a criminal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. Have you ever like dreamed about? I know like a lot of people have like fantasies of just like leaving life behind and living as a stranger somewhere no one knows you have you ever had that fantasy it's pretty common oh sure yeah what what was your fantasy Uh, like where would you go I think my fantasy is very is as simple as anonymity there's something beautiful about 
like even when I moved to New York City, mm-hmm. um, being able to walk the streets and feeling free. It's like a, a clean slate. You right. feel the, the freedom to be who you want to be and live the life you want to live, even if that is very vague and you don't know what it means. Mm-hmm. You feel like you can. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's really as far as my fantasy ever went was just that feeling of the... No one knows the you. Whole, yeah, the whole world is your oyster and you can make of it what you want. Mm. Um I've always, like, been fascinated by Australia for some reason. Huh. And I've always, like, wanted to just, like, if I disappeared. I mean, I would still go to Australia and not disappear. But I'm going to say al- you're giving yourself away now. <laughs> but if I were to disappear, I would like to go to Australia. And specifically, I've always felt an, attra- an attraction to um, Uluru, which is known as Ayers Rock. Uh, uh, and... Uh, I've always wanted to just like go there and go on a walkabout, which is what the Aborigines called like a spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. And I've always been fascinated with the idea of just like leaving everything behind and going to the outback and just like losing myself amongst like nature and the indigenous peoples and just like finding my my spiritual center. So yeah. that's my fantasy. Yeah, <laughs> my, I think mine would require a lot of money to just like live on a coast in mm. the south of France or Greece and eat and drink and mm-hmm. lay on the beach and I, yeah. would, I would need a lot of money. One of Hitchcock's um, themes that he returns to is that of identity and I think that this movie really does um, work with that theme very well uh, because the whole movie I think is we're trying to figure out who exactly Marnie is. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty fascinating stuff. All right, so you got that one. That one turned out to be easier than Forio. Well, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's like it's hard to say Pittsburgh. That's the reason. Um, yeah, that's true. I have heard of Pittsburgh much more than Forio. Um, but you're doing fantastic. You got two and a half points. That oh. means you only need half more point to get For bragging, bragging rights. rights. Oh, the pressure's on Here now. comes question number four. What's the name of the diner? That Mark and Marnie stop at after he catches her. Oh, it was a Howard Johnson's. It was a Howard Johnson's. When they pulled in, I remember going, "Oh, Howard Johnson's." You're Those correct. Used to be a thing. They did used to be a thing. <laughs> in fact, in the 1960s and 70s, Howard Johnson was the largest franchise of restaurants in the United States. Oh wow! Are yeah. there any left? There's like eight left. Oh. Yeah, but they're not as, they're not associated with they're like all private business like that they still retain the name. They're not associated with because Howard Johnson the brand still exists. Mm-hmm. They're just hotels now. Mm-hmm. And like before in the 1960s they actually started out and were better known for the restaurants. And then they started having hotels connected to the restaurants. And I remember actually it's not so much a thing anymore, but I remember when I was a kid and we would do like road trips and stuff that a lot of restaurants had diners attached to, I'm not restaurants, hotels, had diners attached to the hotels, you know, like travel lodges and stuff. Um, But yeah, basically like Howard Johnson was the one that started it. And then they slowly phased out the restaurants and kept the hotels. And yeah, now they're not really a thing anymore. Well, if there's still eight, we should find one, get dressed up, go, give them fake names. We should. Definitely the yes. fake names. And we have to wear the suit, like, suit and tie if you're a guy. And like, I mean, yes. Come on. I mean, I will also probably wear a suit. But <laughs> <laughs> in this spirit, I will wear a pencil skirt. There you go. 
Yeah, it's very 1960s appropriate. Yeah. And then you have to wear your hair up in like whatever that hairstyle is called. Like full bouffant. It will be very high. It was a very severe hairstyle. It was very, <laughs> yes, very tall. Mm-hmm. And then when she let it down, like there was definitely a big difference between like when it was up and when she let it down. Yes. Also, I think that was also a very cool um, character choice there. Yeah. All right. So you, you've you <gasps> gotten bragging rights. Uh. Let's see how far you can take it. See, it paid off to not take notes and just pay attention. <laughs> hey, that's... I the, was immersed. That's what they tell you in school. Pay attention. Mm. Here comes question number five. Dun, dun, dun. This is the hardest question, I feel, because you have to be very specific with it. So let's mm. see how well your memory is. Okay. How much money does Marnie steal from Strut at the beginning of the movie? Oh, um... Well, they... When they pay him off, it's ten thousand. I think she says almost ten thousand. They did mention the exact number. They did say and the exact. That's, that's what I'm asking for. Oh, because it is nearly ten thousand. It is nearly. Mm-hmm. Um, How near? <laughs> Nine thousand seven hundred and forty-eight dollars. That is. Incorrect. Oh, <laughs> I was so confident. But you were close. <laughs> you needed to go a little bit further because it literally is just like inches away. It's $9,967. Ah. So pretty much $10,000. Yeah. Now, I looked it up with the inflation ca- uh, ca- um the inflation calculator, and that amount of money amounts to nearly 84000 today. Wow. So it's actually quite the load of money. It doesn't seem like it was long enough ago to inflate to that extreme. Well, there you go. Makes a lot of things make sense. (laughs) And yet the minimum wage is uh, (laughs) still around the same. So yeah, that's uh, she stole a lot of money, and in fact, I think there's like a lot of like money being thrown around everywhere in this movie. They were talking about how like the ring that he gets her like was forty thousand dollars. Forty two. I remember that number. I yeah, forty two thousand. Which is like about like half a million dollars today. That's insane. Yeah. Who who can afford that? The Rutlands. Mark Rutland. Yeah. Although he did it on credit, mofo. so who knows? I know he did. Marnie, you ruined him. Mm-hmm. How dare you? All right. So you did pretty well in the quiz. You <sighs> technically don't need a bonus to save you, but... I mean, I'm an overachiever. Let's go ahead and play the bonus. Let's see how many, how far you can go. I actually, you should feel very happy because I actually have two bonus questions for this one. <gasps> oh, I'm honored. Because last time we did a Hitchcock movie, we in fact, our very first episode of GSV was a Hitchcock movie, was mm-hmm. Vertigo. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, one of our bonus questions was spot the Hitchcock because Hitchcock was known for doing cameos in all of his movies. Right. So the first bonus question is, did you spot the Hitchcock and where was it? What was the cameo? I, you might have known that I did because I laughed when I saw him. <laughs> I, I went, did. Oh. Yes, I noticed. <laughs> um, in the beginning of the movie uh, at the hotel, mm-hmm. he steps out of the hotel door into the hallway. Correct. Nearly five minutes into the movie, entering the left of a hotel corridor as Marnie passes by. And the interesting thing is, like, as later on in his career, which Marnie is definitely a later Hitchcock movie, yeah. he, he kept placing his cameos closer to the beginning because people started going to the, his movies just to pick out the cameo. And he was like, well, that's ridiculous. I wanted to pay attention to the movie. Oh, see, I would have had the opposite effect. <laughs> and go, well, I'm going to put myself at the very end so that they at least have to stay through the whole movie. 
I mean, I, I guess they still stayed. I would still stay. I mean, I would too. But, but if I'm paying attention to where Hitchcock is, I might not pay attention to the story. So I think that's a good call. That's fair. I, yeah. So that's bonus question number one. Here comes bonus question number two. Oh. Which Australian actress dressed up as Marnie for a portrait that was published in the March 2008 issue of Vanity Fair magazine? Um, who is Nicole Kidman? Incorrect. Yeah, I took a stab. <laughs> I mean, you basically had, I, I guess, a 50-50 shot because yeah. there's two big Australian actresses known to American audiences. It was, in fact, Naomi Watts. Yeah. Ah, oh, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, and the interesting thing was Naomi Watts said that she has... She was fascinated by Tippi Hedren ever since they appeared together in the 2004 movie, I Heart Huckabees. Oh. So, that's where she came. So you did it! You got the quiz! I, you know, I, I am proud of myself. Yeah. I you got did four better and a half than I expected. So, yeah. you did great. Great yes. for your first time. I will pat myself on the back. So, let's talk a little more about this movie. Um... It's interesting, when he was developing the film, Sir Alfred Hitchcock, following his usual practice, he bid for the movie rights for Winston Graham's novel anonymously. He always did that because he, he found that if they knew that it was Hitchcock, that they would, like, up the price. Right. So he bid it anonymously. But the scheme backfired in this instance because when they let Graham know that the purchaser was anonymous, he figured, you know, it must be someone important so then he asked for twice as much as he would have asked. Ah. Hitchcock agreed, though, to pay twice as much on the condition that the deal be closed immediately. But here's the funny thing. So he still didn't know it was Hitchcock. And when Graham found out that it was Hitchcock himself, he said that he would have given him the rights for free because it would have just been an honor Aww. to have one of his stories directed by <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock. I mean, yeah, I, I would do the same thing. But it was nice they got paid, though. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we all got to eat. It's true. Um, we were both mentioning the quality of the music, and mm-hmm. the music was written by Bernard Herrmann. Now, the, this was actually the last of seven scores that Bernard Herrmann did for Alfred Hitchcock. Um, you haven't seen a lot of Hitchcock movies, so I'm not going to ask you to guess any of the other ones. Mm. But the movies that... A handful of them. Five, six... The, well, you probably—I think you've seen <laughs> some of these. The movies that he made a score for was starting from uh, chronologically: "The Trouble with Harry," "The Man Who Knew Too Much," which you've seen, yes, mm-hmm. uh, "The Wrong Man," "Vertigo," "North by Northwest," which you saw, mm-hmm. uh, "Psycho," and then finally "Marty." I saw "Psycho" as well, and I'm I feel like those. <laughs> Bernard Herrmann, like he's a fantastic composer. Mm-hmm. Um, this, his scores for North by Northwest and Psycho and uh, Man Who Knew Too Much are amazing. Yeah. Uh, Vertigo is probably his most well-known score, and it's, uh, it's, it's incredible. But I, I feel like this score, other than Vertigo, is probably my favorite. Um, what did you think about the music and the way it was used in this movie? From the well, We actually talked about it in the opening credits mm-hmm. was when it first struck me. Uh, just the level, it was epic to begin with. Right. Um, and then what I loved is as soon as the movie starts, it stops and she's alone and all you hear is the click of her heels mm-hmm. in the Very silence effective. for quite a period of time. Um, th- there were moments that I 
was pulled into it, noticing the romantic qualities yeah. of the music. Um, the combination or the movement rather from epic and tense and suspenseful to romantic mm-hmm. is really beautiful. Yeah. And so important in trying to do a film like this. Yeah. Um, the sound is, there's so much feeling required. Absolutely. <laughs> there's, yeah. Sound and the, using the silence and using the emotion of the music. Is it's kind of like a cueing into her emotional state in a way. And the interesting thing about you, you mentioned the, the romantic quality of the music and it is very swelling and romantic, mm-hmm. but the movie itself, do you think that the film is romantic? Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I definitely don't. So it's an interesting juxtaposition, right? Yeah. What you're seeing doesn't quite jive with what you're feeling. Right. Maybe. Well, or what she's feeling. I think it's also they're trying to guide you into that. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's what we want her to be feeling in that moment, but we see in her eyes that yeah. she is not there. Um, yeah. You mentioned uh, you mentioned that right after the credits, it, it, we only hear the click of her heels uh, where she's like, basically she's running off with the score. Yeah, After we, she, we open and she's stolen the ten thousand yeah, dollars. We open on a bag, which is yellow. Which is yellow, exactly. <laughs> uh, and the and the key in the safe from the safety deposit box is yellow, right? It's yellow, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another notable sequence, for me notable, that doesn't have any music, mm-hmm. and it's the second time when we see her stealing from Rutland from the safe. That's a that's a sustained sequence of suspense in the classic Hitchcock manner um, with the cleaning lady. Oh, that shot, the setup of that shot. Mm-hmm. Um, Lingering, right? Yeah, it's really great. I mean, Hitchcock was a master of that stuff. But yeah, like showing the audience more than the character knows. Mm-hmm. And every all the information that we needed was in that one shot. And we're like, oh, shit, how is she going to get away right. with it? We see the danger mm-hmm. that she has no idea is coming. Yeah. And then the brilliant use of uh, the shoe drop, literally the shoe dropping. <laughs> the shoe drop. <laughs> um, yeah. What did you think about that sequence? Um, I definitely was taken by the shot and the symmetry of um, her stealing while the clean, the cleaning out while th- well, the cleaning up was right. happening. Yeah. Um, I, well, actually, I'm going to skip it and go straight to the end of the sequence because the shoe drops, she doesn't get caught. Yeah. Um, but then when the other man comes in and starts yelling so loudly and it's, we get the idea that the cleaning lady is actually hard of hearing. Right. Punctuated <laughs> with a joke. <laughs> yes. It's so brilliant. Yeah. Because um, without that... The idea that it was just sheer dumb luck right. is a, is less satisfying. It is, yeah. So, but but it also like do you when you were watching it where like I I remember first time I saw it and I was at the edge of my seat and mm-hmm. when the shoe dropped it was almost like a lump in the throat experience for me I was like <gasps> like she's like what's gonna happen like did you feel any of that or were you invested in it I had the moment where. We see the stairs. We see her take in the stairs, and we see her take in the cleaning woman. And 
I didn't know yet. There had been no murder. I didn't know if murder was going to happen. I didn't know if she was scoping out the stairwell as well. If she sees me, maybe she's going to get pushed down the stairs. That was where my brain went with Mm. the level of tension. So, yes, I was invested. (laughs) (laughs) I was plotting murder. It's a great (laughs) sequence. Speaking of murder... We're going to go into the first of our GSV segments. This one's called Shots, 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 Shots. We're talking about the gratuitous violence in the movie. Um, All right, how many deaths? Were there any deaths and how many? The horse. That's one of them. The horse was a death. Porphorio. The sailor. The sailor. Yep. The sailor is the... uh, those are the only two that I've I counted. mean, yeah, those are... I mean, the wife is already dead. There's no, like, yeah. there's other people that we... There's we only sh- two on-screen deaths. Oh, perfect. I didn't lose any. It's the horse and the sailor. Um, but there is a fairly pervasive undercurrent of violence. In mm-hmm. fact, we'll talk a little more about this in the next segment as well, but the whole movie honestly, is about sexual violence. I was going to say, it's interesting trying to talk about them separately because the two are so intertwined right. in this film. Yeah, yeah. So what did you think about the quality of the violence? I know that it was like 1960, so a lot of it was pretty homogenized, but mm-hmm. what did you feel about the quality of the violence in the movie? Um, the, um, the tension violence and the... Um, I, well... There's a level of abuse mm-hmm. throughout the whole film that, um, bet- you know, the mother slapping her and we clearly see that there's issues there. Um, there's several times that um, Sean Connery is like wrestling her. Yeah, Mark. And, <laughs> yes. Um, Doesn't he even says like uh, when he catches her, he's like he says something about how he's fighting the urge to beat her. Yes, he says that. Yeah, yeah. yep, right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, um, and weirdly that like calms her down. Um, you know. in that moment, <laughs> um, as one does in the sixties. Also, um, in the moment of you know the tree coming through the window and. Um, her being afraid of the lightning and the colors, and he comes to grab her and just also takes it upon himself to just kiss her while she's there shaking right. and terrified, yeah. and that's not okay. There's her a, boss. There was another movie. Inappropriate um, and uncomfortable. There was another movie. Oh, it was Hellraiser. When mm-hmm. we watched Hellraiser, there was a character in Hellraiser that was comforting his wife because she was hysterical. Mm-hmm. And he took that as an in to be sexual with her. Oh. Um, and I actually feel like that's very fascinating. Not in a, it's, an, it's okay, obviously it's not okay, but it's a very fascinating insight into how maybe the disconnect of what men or a character thinks comfort entails. Right. Like is is comfort because comfort is a physical it's a, it's an act of physical intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, can it be misconstrued as a sexual advance because there's like a vulnerable party and then someone 
offering com- physical comfort. Right. I mean, we see it in movies all the time. Yeah. Um, but I think especially in this time period and, I mean, earlier on, I see it a lot, def- like starting in the 20s through um, the 60s, where men... It was attractive for a woman to be childish, mm-hmm. for her to be, um, I mean, all of the the vocal artists of the time that sang like they were little girls and that was supposed to be sexy right. or um, singing lyrics um, about daddy in a mm. sexy way. Um, there was this perception that for a woman to be youthful and childlike was sexy. Mm-hmm. So in these type of moments where she's scared and it can be taken as, I mean, in this film, we're viewing her as a little girl because it is part of her repression right. and her um, childhood trauma, that in that moment, it is, again, she's the little girl that needs to be taken care of and he's going to be the the masculine comforter. Mm-hmm. Um and how in a for so long through history that was considered sexy yeah. <laughs> is really upsetting. And um, not to jump the gun again on the section enough, but it's interesting that she is a fatherless woman. Mm-hmm. And Mark, like it almost feels like she, she has an aversion to men, mm-hmm. but Mark's relationship to her is very fatherly in many ways. Right. Which was for so long the thing. You left your father's house to go to your husband's Mm -hmm. house. Um, They, well, when she asks, like, what's to become of me? Oh, I'm going to be a socialite and host your parties. Right. I did the best that I could. Yeah. Um, It's, unfortunately, it's part of its time. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the other instance of violence that we mentioned already was uh, Forio's death, mm-hmm. uh, which is very interesting to me. Again, now especially knowing that Forio is kind of like a metaphor for her escape. Yeah. And um, she, when she was confronted with the violence of the hunt, she tried to escape once more. And that was like the one time where she couldn't. Or it led to like the death of her, of her security blanket in a way. Yeah. Right. Uh, and yeah. She, and she had to like kill it herself. Right. First of all, we see that a lot in movies and TV about a horse getting hurt and then you have to shoot it. I don't know how accurate that is. I, I hope. Either. I hope like. Do we always have to kill a horse if they injure their if legs? they break their legs? I mean, I know they're in pain, but geez. Uh, yeah, I don't know enough about horses to... It's still a very harrowing moment, I think. Um, Marnie screaming into the house, the horse screaming. Uh, Lil, like, I, the, the moment between Lil and Marnie where Lil's like, I'll kill it. And, and Marnie's like, are you still thirsting for killing? Mm-hmm. And then she takes the gun and does it herself. There's a lot of like thing, every, like a lot of shit going on in that moment. What do you think of that? Of the death of the horse death scene? Um, I there was something upsetting and poetic that it was a relief to her um, that the suffering was just that intense. 
And I immediately thought of the moment of her in the pool trying to kill herself, take her own life. Um, That that to her was something that would offer relief. Hmm. Um, We we didn't even mention that moment, but that was a moment of almost death. Of almost death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, So really it was to me taken as a sign of uh, she fights the need for help so much through this whole film mm-hmm. that it was a moment that we saw really the sadness come mm. out of her because mm-hmm. she puts up such a guard and her taking action mm-hmm. and it kind of it kind of reflects immediately after that she's unable to steal mm-hmm. Uh, so she can't she can't revert back to her own pattern. She's forced to face down her demons. Mm-hmm. The very next scene is her um, regression therapy moment and um, reliving her childhood trauma, where we learn that as a child she actually uh, took a decisive action also and killed the man who was abusing her mm-hmm. and beating on her mom right. at the time. Um, very interesting parallels there. Um, and the whole Forio stolen goods thing, there's almost like an innocence that was stolen from her. Yeah, it absolutely was. Right. And so like her killing the sailor, the killing the horse is very symbolic of like when she had to kill the sailor. Yeah. In a way. Um, so what did you think of, that was like, the, you know, like the big finale and it was very melodramatic and soap oh, operating. Oh boy, it was that... That blood was just... <laughs> what did you think about that sequence? Um, I mean, it is schlocky. Yes, it's it, very for schlocky. For sure. Um, <laughs> so it's always interesting to separate the judgment of the way that it is portrayed from the story that is actually coming mm-hmm. through. Uh, because it is... Uh, very scary, very sad, very serious, and unfortunately very real. Yeah. Um, Well, it was like the moment of him, of marital rape, essentially, with the snapping off of the dress. I understand that what's happening is very real, and it's... um, It's it's challenging, actually, to separate the want to lighten the tone based on the, the level of schlockiness. Yeah. Um, but also understanding and um, allowing the reality of the situation to... There's a lot of horror in this movie. Yeah. Um, we, and we talked about how it's not a horror film, but there is a lot of horror in this movie. Um, and, and it's in the form of, of childhood trauma. Um, and it's interesting, today we talk about trigger warnings and all that. And, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times we, we think, you know, well, that's something that we just started really dealing with, or at least like being open and public about, but this is a whole movie in the 1960s. That's basically all about trigger warnings. Yeah. Uh, And the movie itself could use a trigger warning too, because I, I can imagine that people might've gone through something similar of an experience and the movie, even though it does do it in, again, a very, classy tasteful eye like the Hitchcock 
you know, the, the we're going to hint at it and let you right. imagine what's happening right, right now. But it is very salacious and it's very um, harrowing what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, even the sailor scene, even though it doesn't, it never gets graphic. But I, I feel every time I watch it, there's like when whenever the sailor is comforting Marnie and then it turns inappropriate. Mm-hmm. There's there's definitely a knot that, that that forms in my stomach of like there's a cringe that forms in, in my and I'm like like I feel really bad even watching it. Yeah. You know. Um so I feel like the scene, even though it is schlocky because of the way that it's approached, is effective for, for what the movie is. Yeah, absolutely. It's still that's what I was saying of it's challenging to actually take in what's happening mm-hmm. and not allow yourself to be li- lightening the moment right. with the way it's being done. Um, Bruce Dern was the actor who played the sailor. Mm. Uh, he's a, a Hollywood legend, <laughs> but this was one of his earlier roles. Uh, he uh, had the small role of the sailor. Alfred Hitchcock actually enjoyed working with him so much that he cast him as the leading man in Family Plot, his 1976 film, which ended up being his final film. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, it's kind of weird whenever an actor, like, has a role like this. And and I think he went on to, like, do, like, so many, like, different parts. But, you know, good for you, Bruce, because he was pretty effective as a yeah. sailor. Yeah, I was upset by him. Uh, Melody Thomas Scott, who plays uh, the uncredited younger Marnie and kills Bruce Dern uh, with the fireplace poker. As an adult, interesting about her, um, she played Nikki Newman on The Young and the Restless. Oh. And an interesting bit of trivia is that she kills, in The Young and the Restless, she kills her son-in-law, J.T. Hellstrom, with the fireplace poker. That had to be <laughs> right? that had to be an homage of some kind. You would think. That- <laughs> you would think. I mean, yeah, why not? I mean, <laughs> every, I mean, as many homages to Hitchcock as there has been, it has to be intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to transition. We're kind of going to do like a half in, half out thing. You've already mentioned it. But we're going to transition into the next segment. This one's called Bib we're talking about the gratuitous nudity and sex in this movie. No nudity. No. But a lot of sex. Yes. A lot of sexual situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to start with um, the violent sex. The most violent sexual moment to me, even though the, the thing that happened to her as a child was very violent and sexual. That was more, I would, I don't know trying to categorize it that's more violent than sexual to me but the most violent sexual moment to me was the rape scene yes um and it was again very tastefully done 1960s rape but still very harrowing to watch (laughs) that's a sentence it's very tastefully done 1960s rape i mean you have to you have to keep it clean for those audiences you know it is true um Yes. What? It, so you've already talked about it a little bit. I wanted to. Well, it's hard not to when we're talking about violence. I wanted to give a little bit of like context of how I felt with it because I feel like let, let's bring in a, you know at the at the beginning of the episode I talked about Hitchcock the misogynist. Yes. And how a lot of the ways that he approached women 
has that fetish eye, that kink eye, and it and he treated them like shit outside of the movie, like with the actresses. He treated them like shit a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Tippy Hedren and him had a very fraught relationship, starting with the birds. He basically like abused her on the birds. It's a miracle that she even like agreed to agreed make this to movie. It. And their relationship continued to be very fraught during this movie. Um, you can, I mean, there, there are arguments about like what directors can do or should be able to do to elicit certain responses from their actors. Right. Hitchcock was definitely the kind of person who thought that it was okay to abuse an actress to get the emotion that he wanted out of it. Um, I disagree with that personally. That's why we're friends. <laughs> there are probably better ways to do that, I would say. Um, but again, juxtapose that with what I feel is a very interesting level of empathy that he had artistically for the characters where at the same time, even though they're exploitative and it is very salacious he does have these weird moments where he he makes you feel like he does care what the character is going through. Yeah. And the rape scene is one of them that sticks out to me because we see her being laid down. Mm-hmm. She's staring into the camera, into us, mm-hmm. and she has like this dead-eyed stare. We cut to Mark, Sean Connery's lustful, I don't know, creepy-ass animal stare. Back to Marnie, and as the rape begins, the camera pulls away as if it cannot watch, and we go and see, like, the ocean through the the viewing hole. Out the window, Out the window. What did you think about that scene in general, And, and, and what do you think about the empathy of that scene? Yeah, speaking to that empathy, um, the patience that he seems to show with her at the start of the honeymoon. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, knowing what f- sort of a film we're in, there is still tension and we're waiting to see when that's going to end. But um, there is that level of understanding from Mark, mm-hmm. um, which gives us hope. You know, oh, maybe he maybe he does really care about her. Maybe mm-hmm. Maybe we are safe. Maybe she is safe. Um, then we see him snap, we see the moment of anger, and, um, it's what's the interesting moment, of course, is when he snaps off her clothes, um, she screams, and he has another moment of empathy where he apologizes, covers her, covers her with his robe, and we think... Again, crisis oh, averted. Nope. <laughs> oh no, she's safe. He's right. he's come to, right. but then he hasn't. That, yeah, he hasn't. That was sort of pulling the rug out from yeah. under me. Right. Um. That then again, he's as much as we see him study animals. That I mean, the theme of animals through the whole movie. Right. Um. She's, he sees her as an animal. Right. Yeah. He's trapped her and he plans to keep her. Right. Which and to tame we'll her. We'll get to that later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have feelings about that. Um, but from the very beginning when he's talking about predators mm-hmm. and he's fascinated by animals and um, 
which was one of his moments that I was like, he's got a secret. And I thought maybe we were getting set up for this like Mr. And Mrs. Smith moment of they're, mm. they're both into shenanigans. Mm. They're both predators. We're going to find Anyway. Um, so I, anyway, long story short, it was to me incredibly effective because I kept falling into the idea that she was, that he, we were safe. Mm-hmm. He was safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and we weren't. We were not safe. No. Yeah, that is a very interesting because, like, when when he when he um, rips off his her clothes, she doesn't just scream. She says no. Yeah. You know, and yeah, he covers her immediately, but then he doesn't take no for an answer. He basically has her, his way with her. Yeah, it's like he's apologizing for the act he is about. Right. To because he sees it as his right, and honestly, Mark is an abuser. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a very abusive relationship that that he puts her through. And in fact, I've always thought about how this movie is interesting because it doesn't give us a happy ending. Mm -hmm. It gives us a it's almost like he gaslights her. And because like he 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 does tame her in a way like you would tame a wild horse, whereas it's not that the horse is giving you affection because it cares about you, but only because you've exerted your will upon it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like even at the end when Marnie's like, I don't want to go to jail. I'd rather be with you. Those are literally her choices. Right. <laughs> yep. Also, the horse trusts you because you feed it. Right. It needs you. And in a way, and in a way he does feed her. Exactly. Yeah. She needs him. Yeah. Um, so it's very, Mark is a very interesting um And he sets character. her up to need him. Yeah. Should. Yeah. But but he's a very interesting character because he is not a good person. No. Uh, he's an abuser. Well, um, we see that in his playboy attitude, too. The fact that he has put this insane ring on credit to the point that his yep. family, is, who also has all this money, is like, Worried what about is him. he doing? What's going on, Mark? <laughs> he's so much money. <laughs> um, a little behind-the-scenes trivia here uh, before we go a little further with the discussion. Um, after rehearsing just a few of her scenes with Sir Sean Connery, Tippi Hedren actually asked Alfred Hitchcock, he's, she said, you know, Marnie is supposed to be frigid. How can I be frigid with him? Have you seen him? And this is peak Sean Connery. He was James he Bond. He was a very handsome man. <laughs> he was a very handsome man. Um, so when she says that to him, to, to Hitchcock, have you seen him? How am I supposed to be frigid with him? Hitchcock's reply was... Yes, my dear. It's called acting. <laughs> Again, very cheeky. Mm-hmm. Um, Tippi Hedren has stated that many people have asked her what it was like to kiss the handsome Sean Connery. Her reply was, how sexy was it? It wasn't. It was simply technical. It was totally technical. That was her reply. So I guess she took Alfred Hitchcock's note to uh, heart. Well, to be fair, I don't think she ever actually kisses him. She, he does even, kiss her, right? Even the mouth kisses. Her eyes are open and her mouth doesn't move. He's kissing her. He's pretty much forcing herself yeah. on it. And she's just holding her breath going, oh God, I hate this. <laughs> oh, just reminding herself this is... <laughs> we can't talk about the sex actually without mentioning Sean Connery. He was a sex symbol. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I mean... Yes, he's a very attractive man. We see him shirtless in a couple of scenes, you know. Um, it, it's almost like, again, like going back to the 
the fantasy role of like him being a stand-in for Alfred himself to kind of exert his voyeuristic eye mm-hmm. on the film. Um, and he, cause, because to me, Mark is a, a stand-in for sex, period. Mm-hmm. It's, and, and the way that, that humans, well, you were talking about his obsession with animals, it is very animalistic. It's the id. Yeah. It's all about conquest. And that's what Mark represents. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I, when I see, like, Marnie fighting his impulses and trying to keep him away, it's very much, like, to me, like, oh, it's, it's, it's Hitchcock's comment on himself in a roundabout way and how maybe it's like the ego or the super ego fighting against the id inside of him. That's mm-hmm. kind of like the push and pull that I'm getting from the movie. Yeah. Did you get any of that from the movie? Um, that actually sparks um, a thought I was having about Hitchcock fetishizing the women and then also offering empathy to the characters. Right. Um, I am curious how much of that is the idea of his characters being somehow better than we are in real life in some way. Mm. So while he Well, they are, because they are idealized, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So if, um, if, um, Marnie deserves empathy... In his mind, the character that he has created is somehow better than the actress that he can treat however he feels. Um, And that may very well tie into if he is um, projecting himself into his male characters, Mm -hmm. um, which, I mean, writers have done... Fitzgerald, Scott Fitzgerald would do that in all of yeah. so many of his male characters. Um, a lot of his male characters seem to have a problem with obsession. I think like Mark definitely has a problem with obsession, uh-huh. and I think that that's that's Hitchcock's. You know, that's his issue. He's he's obsessed with a certain type of you know woman or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. This figure, this fantasy figure. Um, yeah, it's very interesting to me. It's fascinating. Yeah, um, you could do that. Yeah. You know? So this is me two <laughs> It's kind of scary in a way. In, in mo- I mean, my flaws are greater, but also my, you know, my qualities are greater. Um, we talked about a little bit how uh, Tippy and, and and Hitchcock had a very fraught relationship, starting with the birds. Uh, he basically put her through hell. Honestly, it's a, mm-hmm. it was a very ab- uh, abusive relationship. In fact, you know, Tippy Hedren, um, her daughter is Melanie Griffith, mm-hmm. and during the filming of the birds for Melanie Griffith's birthday, Hitchcock gave her a small coffin, and that when she opened the coffin, it was a doll that looked like Tippy Hedren, like oh. her mom. <laughs> like that's the type of thing that was going on. Like that's mm-hmm. not. Nice or healthy. No, no, that's not okay. Um, and actually, I'm surprised that Tippy made this movie after what he put her through in The Birds. And he, the, that fraught relationship continued in this movie. In fact, they had a major falling out during filming. And there is a rumor that by the end of filming, he directed her through intermedia- intermediaries. They couldn't even talk to each other. Wow. Um, and... But despite, like, the fraught relationship that she had with Hitch, 
she had a surprisingly very amicable relationship with Sean Connery. In fact, uh, when she was asked in 2007, I'm sorry, 2017, she said that she was still in touch with Sean Connery. So I thought that was interesting. It is. What did you think about Tippi Hedren, the actress, as a performer in her performance as Marley, Marnie? The eyes have it. Mm. There were several, I mean, there's so much going on, and she's such a guarded character um, that in those really awkward, uncomfortable moments, I was looking at her eyes, and mm. um, and I was with her. Uh, Movie acting, a lot of it does happen in the eyes. I feel it's a fantastic performance. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so, for its time, it's so raw and emotional. Uh, There's a lot of depth Mm -hmm. uh, to it. She's hiding so much. She really is an enigma. Mm -hmm. Um, And she plays it so well. I thought that Sean Connery was really good, too. They and for them to be the two leads, they're you know if if they say that like the success of like film and and uh, acting in general like fifty percent or whatever percent of the success a large percent is casting absolutely and they really hit it on the on the head here because like I can't think of anyone in that time period who would be more like brutish, handsome and animalistic as Sean Connery. Yeah. And then I can't think of anyone else who would give like such a harrowing, like haunted performance uh, other than Tippi Hedren. Yeah. She really, really knocked it out of the park for me. Yeah. My, one of my favorite moments of Sean Connery's performance was watching him watch her do the job interview because mm. he's just silently watching her right but i could tell that he had a hunch that she might be the woman from struts who just right. made off with the cash right and i could tell that he was attracted to her mm-hmm. and i could tell he was a little amused and I, I could all of that just from him sitting and watching her do this job interview yeah. Um, yeah, he was a good actor. Now, there's there's a funny thing about Sean Connery. This is unrelated to the movie, but uh, I wonder if you picked up on this, like uh, through for his career. It's interesting to me that Sean Connery he had he's, a, he's a, he was a legend, and he's played uh, many different types of characters, right? Mm-hmm. From different backgrounds, he's played uh, Irish, British, Scottish, American in this movie. But he's one of those actors that he never changes the way that he speaks. Mm-hmm. So he's always Scottish. Even when we're meant to believe that he's American. Uh-huh. In the very opening scene, when he opened his mouth, I went, I, I paused because it sounded less Scottish than uh-huh. the, the Sean Connery in my head. And I thought, is he, is he doing an American accent? And then in the, about his second line, I went, no, he's not. Yeah. But it feels maybe Scottish light. Yeah, it's Scottish light. <laughs> he can never shake it off. No. It's kind of like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is like that, too. Like, he always has that that thick Vienna or Austrian accent. Right. Um, even when he's pay- playing an American. Right. So, we're just meant to accept it. Yeah. Um, um, for Sean Connery, we will. Yeah, we will. Another fascinating character in this movie, which we haven't talked about, but uh, I'm excited to get your thoughts on her, was Lil. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was also very uh, wonderfully played by yes. Diane Baker. In fact, 
I don't know, listeners might crucify me for this, but personally, <laughs> I find Diane Baker more attractive than Tippi Hedren. There was something about her and her performance in this movie that, uh, like, yeah, like, that's, I mean, that, that slight, like, cold ca- calculating evil, I'm like, that scares me that I'm into that for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what did you think about Lil, the character? Um, I... She had a secret mm-hmm. from the get go, yeah. and I knew that she was trouble, she and was I trouble. liked her. <laughs> I liked her too. I liked I, her too. Uh, she she walks the line so well. Of I know that you're trying to take this man, and I know I like you got this gold digger vibe, <laughs> like you got, um, which she's not hiding at all. She's very open about it, um, but also. There's moments of, again, everybody, they've got such great flaws, but then there's Mm -hmm. also moments of endearing human qualities. We see her break down a little bit of, hey, I would do, like, anything for you. Just, like, so you know, I am on your side 100%. I think that's why he rejects her. Mm -hmm. Because he wants... The challenge. The challenge. Uh And she is not the challenge. And it almost makes me feel like there's like you said like there's a secret there mm-hmm. and it almost makes me want to know like what happened exactly to her sister i said i thought the exact same thing did they did i, I had wondered if i missed if they said they how didn't. she died it, they said it was uh, something to do with the heart that's all they said because i that was something i had my eyes on lil about yeah. was is she why gonna, stick around right right i mean money if they're gonna be taking care of her then he she was obsessed with mark oh yeah and then she was obsessed with bringing Marnie down. Yeah. Like, she basically, like, I mean, she does a, a, her fair share of fucked up things. Right. <laughs> but then she also has the moment of understanding with Marnie when she agrees to give her the gun. I mean, she, it's not so much an agreement to give it to her, but an agreement to ask the neighbor mm. for it. hmm Seeing that... There's compassion there, you think? Yeah. Okay. Yes. For me, there was. I feel like there was a there was maybe a little bit of compassion there, but I think that Marnie was right when she picked out that like, are you thirsting for killing? Mm. I feel like like Lil Lil just wants to be in charge. She wants to be HBIC, and and Marnie is like, you know, she she's 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 fronting on her <laughs> on her pad on her man and on her pad. <laughs> so the the whole gun thing is almost like another like take control thing for for Lil. I think that, that that's what I see more than straight compassion. Okay. But but there but I mean yes, there is obviously some compassion there, I think. But yeah. I think it's more like let me do this right. type of thing. I mean anytime you're introducing a gun. It... Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're changing something. The tone is changing. Um, a couple of interesting trivia bits about uh, Lil and Diane Baker's performance. Diane Baker said that for the scene where she's eavesdropping with Mark, she was having trouble like or getting what Hitchcock wanted mm-hmm. because Hitchcock wanted a very specific face from her when mm-hmm. she's eavesdropping. And she, for some reason, had trouble um, getting it. So it, Alfred Hitchcock actually came up to her, put his hands on her face, and physically manipulated it into the expression that he wanted for oh. the scene. <laughs> That takes line reading to the next level. Right. Let, me, let me give you a face reading. Right. Again, maybe a little too much hitch, you know. Maybe not not appropriate. <laughs> not appropriate. 
Uh, another interesting thing is at one point Lil has the line, I always thought a girl's best friend was her mother. That's actually an echo of the famous line from Psycho where Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates says uh, that a boy's best friend is his mother. Mm. There, there's mm-hmm. a lot, And that's another thing in Hitchcock's movie. There's a lot of like mother and daughter and mommy issues. And yeah. this movie has big mommy issues. In yes. fact... Um, we have Lewis Latham, who played Tippi Hedren's mom. Um, what did you think about that character? Another very fascinating character. Very fascinating. Um, did they have her in age makeup? They did. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. That, that was a little distracting to me. I I'll tell you why. Thinking, I don't know that she's old enough. And it looks like they tried to help the age She was along. only seven years older mm-hmm. than Tippi Hedren. Although people didn't exactly know that at the time because Tippi Hedren didn't actually reveal her real age until 2006. Up until then, the public thought she was born in 1935, but then she revealed that she was actually born in 1930. Ah. Oh. So they actually hey, believed... five years in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So they actually thought that she was 12 years older, but still, that's still young. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so that was a little distracting to me. Um, I, I mean, I thought that she... I enjoyed her performance, absolutely. Um, I could see the care, and I could also see the guard. Mm-hmm. Um, the moment of her in the doorway during the nightmare is sufficiently creepy mm. um <laughs> yes with the silhouette that also <laughs> yes. reminded me of uh, of uh psycho yeah because you see norman bates or mrs bates in silhouette in the, yeah in the window mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um there there were just some things that were a little distracting to me the mm-hmm. makeup was one um and this might have been a choice because they were referred to the incident as the accident um, mm-hmm. that she had a mouth pull that was almost as if she'd had a stroke. Mm. Right. Um, and I don't know if that was, again, a choice for us to be thrown off of the scent of what the accident was. Right. Um, but I not- wonder, but in the struggle, though, there was, a, I think, a moment where he's like kind of like, tearing at her face a little bit and then he lands on her. So I wonder if it's all connected. If it, yeah, it could be. Them, yeah. Um, but I mean, I, her physical work with that was fantastic. Very heartbreaking also, yes. right? The character. Yes. Um, how she basically, when she talks about wanting Marnie to be decent and that little speech by Marnie is so good. Tippy ha- handles it really well. What she's talking about, like, I'm a liar, I'm a thief, I'm a cheat, but yes, I'm decent. Mm-hmm. And mm. and then she's, like, trying to be comforted once again by her mom after they've come, like, all of it's come out. And the and the mom tries to comfort her, and the only thing that she can say is, like, watch my leg or something like that. You know? mm-hmm. And she still has that guard up. She can't let it down. Yeah. No matter, even, even then, even after everything comes out. Um, very heartbreaking performance. And it kind of <clears throat> makes me feel about, you know, it's very relatable because I feel like a lot of times we can't help who we are because the, those situations, like we're human and mm. it's almost like our flaws beget more flaws and like things that she tried to do because she loved uh, Marnie and she was trying to protect Marnie ended up hurting Marnie more than if she had been honest, confronted it from the beginning. Yeah, overcorrecting. Right. 
We all do that. <laughs> um, Which again is what brings me to my previous point about it not being a happy ending. Because even when everything is, is out and we finally get through to the mystery, she's still left with a cold, uncaring mother. Mm-hmm. Or a caring mother, but a one who can't give her the love that she needs. Right. And she's still in a cage with her husband. So, yeah, it's it's a very fascinating movie to Right. Me. But it also doesn't feel like an ending. Yeah. It... Yeah. It feels unresolved, do you think? um, I just, it feels like they unlocked a door Mm. and they still have a journey to go. Mm. Chapter two. Chapter two. (laughs) Marnie, part two. (laughs) We're going to go into our final GSV segment. This one's called... Mm, That's That's problematic. Problematic. So, obviously, lots of things that we've talked about have been extremely problematic. Yeah. What else was problematic? What did you find problematic in this uh, movie? I mean, we know from the time period we're going to be looking at women through a specific lens that mm-hmm. um, doesn't stand the test of time. From mm. the very beginning of the show, when we're looking at her butt and heels walking away from us, and then we cut immediately to the boss cutting a description of her and it's very obvious that she was attractive and that was really all he cared about when he hired her. The detectives were actually making fun of him too for how superficial (laughs) it was. Exactly. (laughs) Nice teeth even. Yeah. And oh, he makes a comment about her um, pulling her skirt down like I think yeah. he calls it like she's hiding the national treasure right right um, and judging her that mm-hmm. way like oh creepo ew. creepo uh, and there, that's all over the film we we know it we expect it from a movie in the 60s um, you were talking earlier about uh, the way that Mark um, possesses her physically oh yeah the whole um, conversation in the car when he picks her up um, and has trapped her. I'm doing air quotes right now mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> for those who can't see me. Um, has trapped her. Uh, I do appreciate that it is acknowledged. She says, like, she fights what he's saying and is aware that it's wrong for him to trap her. And when he proposes, in a way, he doesn't actually propose. When yeah, he, she force, he forces when his he will. When he tells her that they will <laughs> be getting married. Um, and she, she tells him, oh, because you can just own me. I am just mm-hmm. your property. And it's coming from a place that she knows that it's not okay and she's not okay with it. But... That's the way the world turns, and she's going to go half like that is yeah the position she's in. I mean, that's that's part of the the the, the brilliance of the movie to me, and I, in a lot of ways, it's way ahead of its time because she does call out those attitudes. Mm-hmm. And the movie, yeah, the movie is problematic because it still includes those attitudes, but. Well, we don't see it from his perspective. It's from her perspective. Yes, which I, talking about that moment in the bathroom of all of the women, I acknowledge and appreciate that they did that. But it's another thing that's crazy to me is how far back we can find that in film mm-hmm. and how long it's taken us to catch up in the real world. Right. <laughs> 
Yeah, we've been dealing with these issues. Yeah. Even by confirmed misogynists dealing with these issues. Yeah. And yet we don't we don't and haven't done anything about it. Somehow we still, it's yeah we're still, still battling with it. Yeah, still happening, still relevant. Um, the big the piece de resistance of the movie is this makeshift therapy session that happens at the end, the regression therapy session. Right. I find that really problematic because, um, yeah, that's not how therapy should be handled. No. <laughs> no. But Mark and, and, and Marnie, again, calls him out on this fairly mm-hmm. early on. Oh, Yo, you like want to play doctor? He wants to play doctor. Mm-hmm. Mark just thinks that he is the be-all and end-all. Like, he is... The Bee's Knees. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a book called, uh, Anne, Anne Kaplan wrote a book in 1990. It's called Motherhood and Representation in Psychoanalysis and Cinema. <laughs> Sounds like a fascinating book. Wow. <laughs> so she wrote about that scene. She says, and I quote, The film works with a simplistic and reductive Freudian scheme of revelation of trauma followed by instant catharsis and a cure, a pattern familiar from many Hollywood films of the past war of the sorry of the post-war period. Marnie defends herself against Mark's controlling attempt. It brings under control the dangerously independent stance of both mother and daughter who articulate hatred of men who despise sex and want to live without men. What do you think about that? There's, well, several points, and we kind of touched on this already, where they, Marnie is fighting for something and trying to prove a point at the same time that her need to prove the point is happening. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing that is upsetting about it to me is she's acknowledging that him trying to play doctor is not appropriate. It's not helpful. He's not um, qualified to do this. Um, But the film still allows it to happen. Mm. And it's done in that same way of she's reverted to the little girl Mm -hmm. and he is the man who knows Mm -hmm. and is comforting um, so we're set up again for that same Dynamic. picture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I appreciate that there is the awareness and that her and her mother are trying to say we don't, you know, we can take care of ourselves mm-hmm. and they can, they yeah. were right. Um, They're surviving. Yes. um, Maybe not through healthy methods Mm -hmm. um, or safe methods, um, which gets us into victims of circumstance and poverty and all of that's a whole nother level of issues that beyond gender is that she says we were, I don't remember how she words it, like we were gritty poor. Mm and in comes this money train mm-hmm. known <laughs> known as Mark, right? Um, who's gonna solve your problems? Which yeah, we actually had, I don't think we've talked about that dynamic of the poor and yeah, and, yeah, um, the money dynamic. Um, there's a very there's a very savior 
complex thing in yeah. Mark's character. So while we're we're saying the words that we'd like to hear, we're still in the film experiencing essentially the savior. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the film does a a very a good job representing women? Or um, like I guess like compared to especially for the time period as in, and compared to like male characters who usually like female characters in movies are kind of two dimensional and kind of, you know, jotted off. Like, do you, what do you think about the quality of the female characters in representative? I mean, they're given depth, they're given backstory. Um, I don't think anybody female was particularly 2d. Um, it's, Circumstance again and uh, social norms. Mm-hmm. Um, but I. They felt like fleshed out humans. They did. And that's, that's again going back to my point about how, how Hitchcock approaches female characters. I do feel like in all of his movies, I feel like he has really strong female characters. Mm-hmm. And again, even though he does exploit them and view them with a voyeuristic and fetish eye, he still makes sure that they are three-dimensional, living, breathing human beings, which mm-hmm. is very fascinating to me. It's yeah. kind of like, he's, there's just like a, a always a push and pull, I think, with how he portrays female characters. Because on the one hand, they're very problematic, and they are problematic in this movie. Yeah. But on the other hand, they're also uh, very empowered. Yeah. Which, weird. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, sure. In terms of other representation, the movie is fairly problematic, too. It's a very white oh, movie. Yes. There's only one uh, character of color mm-hmm. who we see for, like, one line, maybe, like, ten seconds. Yeah. And it's for a joke, a good joke. Yeah, it <laughs> it satisfies the moment of getting away with robbery. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's it. But that's it, yeah. So, not doing very well there, Hitch. Yeah. And his movies are fairly white all, all overall, so. Yeah, that, I mean, this whole period of film is yeah. problematic in that regard. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, mental health is problematic in, I mean, it's still something that I feel like we're getting better and at least more willing and open to talk about mm-hmm. and handle. Um, not handle, but to talk about. Um and I don't know that we said we t- have talked about it. I just don't know that we pointed out specifically that the problem of addressing mental health in that way that right with abuse, <laughs> with yeah, abuse. probably and, not the best uh, thing. And just oh no, we just need to remember what happened, and you'll be fine. Unlock those memories. Yes. Oh, great, you're cured. Uh, funny regression therapy is very controversial to begin with. I feel like mm-hmm. um, you know there's a lot of problems with that, like. Uh, sometimes you've um, I mean it's not it's not healthy to like bury stuff either but sometimes your brain does things out of a sense for of survival yeah so maybe it's not the healthiest thing to unlock those memories maybe the healthier thing is to cope with whatever trauma you had in your past and if you truly love someone instead of like trying to dominate them and trying to get them to conform to whatever fucked up ideal you have in your brain mm-hmm. maybe you should understand that person and try to create a life where they can feel comfortable and loved in your vicinity maybe something oh, like that oh 
what a what a thought. <laughs> oh, embracing and supporting and loving right. and that huh. would, I think that that would probably be better. You know, what a world. Uh, we're wrapping up our discussion. Um, another interesting piece of trivia for this movie. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock put a lot of Edgar Allan Poe references in the movie. Mm. Marnie's last name in the movie is Edgar, but in the novel, it was Elmer. So it was changed to Edgar as a reference to Edgar Allan Poe. Unlike the movie, the novel um, takes place in England, but this movie does not. Um, Like Poe's characters, Marnie Edgar is subject to psychological terror. Mm. The movie takes place in New York, Virginia, Philadelphia... And Baltimore, these are all places that Edgar Allan Poe lived in throughout the better part of his life. Oh. Uh, the movie's climactic scene, in fact, takes place um, in Baltimore, which is the city where Poe died under mysterious circumstances in 1849. Uh, Tippi Hedren, who played Marnie, uh, Tippi and Edgar were actually both born on January 19th. Uh, in the novel, Marnie's mother was named Edith Elmer in the movie, the, it was changed to Bernice El, uh, Edgar. Bernice was actually a short story written by Edgar Allan Poe. And in a 1960 article called Why Am I Afraid of the Dark, Hitchcock noted this uh, information and he said that it's because, and I quote, I liked Edgar Allan Poe's story so much that I became that I began to make suspense films. Interesting. So, I love little Easter eggs. Little, little nuggets, yeah. Yeah. So, final thoughts. We just finished watching Marnie and we talked about it for about an hour and a half. Oh my gosh. So, what do you feel about this movie? Do you think that it was a bad movie, a so-so movie, a good movie, a great movie? Where do you land? I'm going to land in good. Okay. Um, I enjoyed it. I was involved in it. I cared. Um, I don't know that it's something that I will feel the need to, you know, revisit mm. very often. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a fun Hitchcock movie. No. And Hitchcock movies, they're, they're a lot of fun, but this yeah. one's not one of them. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so because of that revisit factor, I'm going to give it a good rather than a great. Okay. Okay. I have seen this movie maybe half a dozen times to this point in my life and there's something about this movie yeah uh it's very fascinating um again and i view it from like almost like a meta you know perspective i take it as like an an artistic statement yeah uh and it is entertaining but yeah i agree it's not a fun movie and i wouldn't even place it in like the top three or four most fun or entertaining Hitchcock movies. But there's something about this movie that like Hitchcock, his willingness to take the audience to such a dark place. Mm. And, commendable. Right? And yeah. appreciated. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't like Respectable. pull a lot of punches. Like maybe in style he does again because of the time period. Mm-hmm. So he has to like clean up a lot of things. But... In, in the things that he's in the, the subject matter that he's tackling the, the themes of the movie um, what what he does with the character uh, and what he allows Tippy to do with the character I have to give this movie a great movie a great it's it's wow. an, it's an underrated Hitchcock movie I think wow. um, it's like I said it's not one of his best I, I wouldn't say but it's up there I think that uh, 
it has it should be in the conversation more often. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. But because he, there are so many films from Hitchcock that really, to me, are great. Mm-hmm. That I'm holding back. <laughs> so you wouldn't say it's like maybe good verging on great, or would you just give it a solid good? Um. Not, not that I want to change your. I don't want to change your, your I'll, I'll final thought. I'll give it a thought. good plus. <laughs> good plus. A good plus. Don't feel threatened by me. I'm not Mark. <laughs> You're free to feel however you wish. And I do. I'll give it a good verging, uh, a great verging on good. It's on the it's on the lower scale. Okay. Of great, it's a great minus. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so we're not far off. Right, but it, but I I there's a part of me that wishes that that there were movies like this made today, maybe not in this style, but that at least had the balls to tackle subject matter like this. Absolutely. Right? And actually, one thing I will say to the credit of the style is it makes it a little easier to digest. Mm -hmm. Um, I would be more willing to tackle this type of subject matter in this style than actually seeing it is it, it was a good choice to pull away from the rape yes it was very artistic but it was also a good choice emotionally for us right yeah um, we didn't have to see that right especially like that's a good point that you bring because there's a lot of criticism for example with the way that Game of Thrones a uh, recent TV show mm-hmm. handled rape in that it was very controversial right because I feel like the that's another that's another um, piece of entertainment that's known for being very salacious yes and very lurid (laughs) for entertainment purposes Mm -hmm. Um, and in that case I feel like the creators and the filmmakers they want you to see you know as much as they can show because they want you to leer at it. Because they yeah. want they want to titillate you, you know? Right. It's like, oh, what you're watching, it's not only horrible, it's also naughty. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, it's like, this is naughty, I won't show you the horrible. Right. It's almost like the opposite approach. And there is, I think, like something to be said about that. Well, there's a level of seriousness added to that. Mm-hmm. Like, this is... This is such a terrible act, I don't want you to see it. Right. That it makes you take that a little more seriously. Mm-hmm. And it feels like your imagination fills in the gaps. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other way around, it's just like flat out exploitation at that point. Yeah. So we've come to the end of our discussion. Thank you for watching Marnie with me, Lindsay. Yes. Thank you for having me. This and, was fun. And you're an actress in, in, uh, in your normal life and a photographer. Um, you're involved in a lot of uh, exciting projects. Uh, tell us uh, about a couple of things that you do. Absolutely. Yes. I have deemed myself a creative dabbler. Nice. Um, deemed? Dubbed? Um, so you can find photography work at lindsaykellyimagery.com. That is Lindsay E-Y, not A-Y. Lindsay, not Lindsay. Exactly. (laughs) Lindsay and Lindsay are very different people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I work with a theater company that's been doing a lot of Zoom projects as of late. We tend to do, not tend to, we always do, um, classical texts as drinking games. Mm -hmm. And we will be doing Christmas Carol. Um, And you can stream that through Facebook as we are in the Zoom Theater Times. Um, So if you go to the drunk texts, 
Um, you can check that out. That'll be coming December 18th. Yeah, great. And uh, those, both of those uh, sites, uh, your photography site and the drunk test, will be in the show notes. So if you okay. guys want to go into the show notes and just click on the link, you'll be able to see. Now, it, unfortunately, if you're not based in New York, uh, you won't be able to hire Lindsay unless you pay her a lot of money. So maybe pay her a lot yeah. of money, you know. You know, I'll you can pay her like girls gotta eat. You can pay her ten thousand dollars <laughs> stolen from a safe. Yeah, and I will rent a car and get to you to take your photo. <laughs> I hope that you join me again to watch another schlocky masterpiece sometime. This I is a lot of fun. To. I had fun doing it. I had a blast. Yeah. And we hope that you guys out there join us again uh, next time. We'll watch another schlocky masterpiece together. Until then, stay away from the color red. Watch some movies instead. Ooh. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. Gratuitous sex and violence. Just. You guys always bring the very best violence. No relationship.